Okay. So I promised you guys a story yesterday, and here's the story. So we were talking about the concept of how uh, righteous people, about righteous people, how they have the power to daven for us, and you know what exactly our our position is on that. So story goes like this: There is a great rabbi. Interestingly enough, he was not really known as a great rabbi when he was alive. His name was Reb Shaila from Kerestir. Kerestir is a place in um, in Hungary, and it's somewhat close to uh, to Budapest. Okay, and so what happens is like this: this great rabbi, he actually during his lifetime was known for having a soup kitchen. So he wasn't, uh, like I said, he wasn't a very famous, a very rah-rah kind of rabbi. And so Shaila has this uh, soup kitchen, and he. Um, and he's taking care of people, and nobody thinks of him as this great rabbi. And then what happens is there, there was a different rabbi who's going to pass away, and the Liskarov. The Liskarov is a big rabbi, a very well known, famous big rabbi in Hungary at that time. This is in the early 1900s, late 1900s, I think. And so the Liskarov, people are asking him, who should they go to for you know brachot? Who should they go to for blessings after the Liskarov passes away? Who should they go to for advice after he passes away? And he says, go to Rav Shaila Karastir. Shaila, he runs a soup kitchen. He's a nice guy, but like, oh, he's not like a big rabbi or anything, right? It's like, trust me, go to Rav Shaila Karastir. And they go to Rav Shaila, and they start realizing that Rav Shaila has a power of giving a blessing. Right? And this power of giving a blessing is actually documented in the Torah, right? Hashem says to Abraham that you will have the power to give a blessing. Abraham gives that power to Yitzchak, and Yitzchak gives that power to Yaakov. Right. And all the nations of the world will bless themselves by you. Right. This concept of giving of the power of blessing over to individuals in the world is, is well documented. So over the past, I would say, 10 to 20 years of Shaila Karastir, his grave site in Karastir has become one of the more famous places that people will go to, particularly because it's not, it, it's not in um, Eastern Europe. Right, so it's in Hungary, and Hungary is a relatively civilized country, and people are it's easier to go there, and therefore people go there. And especially now, Ukraine, Uman was off off limits, right? So Uman, where Nachman Breslov is buried, was off limits. So people wanted to go to Shaila Karastir. Um, you might have seen the the story going around about Lufthansa airline was not allowing um, Jews to get on. They were on their way to Shaila Karastir's grave for uh, you know for the day of his yard set, the day that he had passed away. So the story goes like this. There's a video that was going around last week, it went somewhat viral. There's a guy in this video, and he sits down, humble looking, sweet looking person. Sits down, he's like, oh, You want to hear my story? With Shia Lakarastir? Okay, okay, fine, I guess I'll tell you my story. And like, clearly, there's someone's interviewing and like literally just lining people up, like, What's your story with Shia Lakarastir? Right? So, so here's the story. He says he's been married, was married for uh, over 10 years, and he had not yet had children. He's trying to have children desperately. And a friend of his told him, so listen, you know, I want to tell you something. I was married for many years and I had a lot of children, but I was only having boys. I was not having girls. And I wanted to have a girl because the halacha is you, if you want to fulfill the mitzvah, the mitzvah be fruitful and multiply, you have to have both male and female children. And aside from that, he also just wanted to have a girl. He says, I wanted to have a girl. So I went to Rav Shaila Karastir's grave on the day of his yard site. And nine months later to the day, I had a baby girl. So I think maybe you should go to Shaila Karastir also and then Davin and Davin to Hashem out of Shaila Karastir's grave and Davin to Hashem to, uh, to have children. You haven't had children over 10 years. And so the guy says very um, self-effacingly, he's like, you know, 
I said to myself, I've gone to every single great rabbi out there who's alive. I've gone to every single great rabbi out there who's dead. I've gone to their graves. I've gone and I've davened and I've asked Hashem for a bracha and I've davened Hashem and asked the rabbis for blessing. Nothing's happened yet. So you think he's going to say, and I just said, I'm not going to listen. But he's like, you know what? I said, you know what? May as well go to another rabbi anyway, right? So he goes to this other rabbi. He comes to Hungary, to Budapest. And he goes to sleep at night in the hotel with a couple of friends who came together with him for this pilgrimage. And the next day, I woke up earlier than everyone else. They were still sleeping. I went, I davened, and I went to the kosher restaurant in Budapest. I sit down at the kosher restaurant, and everyone's speaking Hungarian. I don't speak Hungarian. But I hear one guy a couple of tables over. He's got a cell phone, and he's speaking English. So I make eye contact with him, and I nod my head while I'm eating breakfast. And he nods his head at me, and he says, come sit down next to me. You know, he, with hand motions, after he gets to the phone, we start talking a little bit. And we're schmoozing. <laughs> and he says to me, this is your first time here. I said, yeah. So I come here every year. Okay, fine. Very nice. He's like, and what do you do? So the guy who called him over says, oh, um, I'm a doctor. Right? And they finish eating breakfast together. And the guy says, you know, I'm about to go to the grave right now. Would you like to go with me? And the guy's thinking to himself, like, should I go? Should I wait for my friends? It's going to take them a while until they wake up. Like, I'll go with them. So they go outside. This guy has a fancy car a big, uh, and, and a chauffeur waiting for him. Gets into the car and the guy says to him, listen, I wasn't going to ask you before in public with everyone else sitting there. Can I ask, is there something in particular that you're coming for Stavin, at this time? So he says, actually, there is. His sister had stage four cancer. Didn't mention what type of cancer. His sister had stage four cancer and there wasn't really too much hope anymore. And the, doc the doctor says, you know, can I hear more about what type of cancer it is? Because I happens to be, I'm, I'm in some cutting-edge research in cancer um, treatments. And he explains the cancer. He's like, as it happens, I happen to work in a field. And we offer a cutting-edge, uh, you know, still, uh, you know, in trial stages, a stem cell protocol. And it's, it's $300,000. So my sister can't afford $300,000 on a long shot. He's like, don't worry about it. Totally covered. I'm not going to charge you a penny. He's like, okay, fine. Thank you very much. It was really nice meeting you. It was great to meet you. He says, then anything else that you've come here for? He says, well, I also have come through Shaila's grave because you see, I married for over 10 years and I have not yet merited to have children and I really would like to have children. And the guy says, okay, we're going to go to Shaila, we're going to dive in together. We go to Shaila, they dive in together. And the guy finishes the story by saying, to make a, a long story short, my sister's stage four cancer went completely into remission after that treatment. And he had a baby nine months later. Okay. So this is a story that took place, I don't know, a year or two ago, not, not so long ago. So to answer, the, that's the long story answer to the question of Jonathan of, do we go daven at the graves of people who are no longer alive? I don't know if we should or shouldn't, but it does seem to often have, have results. Um, and now if we want to be very skeptical and we don't want to believe in this system of davening, what I think what we would say is, is that the very fact that people have this deep enduring level of faith in the idea that Hashem listens to the prayers of a righteous person. And that itself becomes like a conduit or intermediary for our prayers to be heard up and high. The, the very imuna pishuta, as we would say, the simple faith that people have, that's why they're rewarded. And to me, in watching that video of this guy, thinking to myself personally is the fact that the guy said, you know what, I've been for 10 years, I haven't had children yet. And I've been to every single rabbi and I've been to every single grave. So instead of telling his friend, Right? Don't, don't bother me with another grave and another rabbi. It's just too much already. It is what it is. Instead of wallowing in, in despair and, and, and just, you know, I, I'm done. I'm done with hope, right? He said, okay, I'll go to another rabbi. 
So to me, that's a mudam, a mudam That is the simple faith that at any moment the Yeshua, at any moment the salvation will come. And perhaps that's why he was answered. But the fact of the matter is, he went to that place to go eat breakfast before his friends. He decided to go in the car with that guy and not go, not wait for his friends to come. And this doctor happens to be a doctor with a, a, a revolutionary treatment that can help uh, cure his sister's cancer. Throws it in for free, which the sister can't afford the $300,000. Then they go diving together and it's, it, it, you, can't, you can't make that stuff up. Yeah, so that, that's the story that I promised you. He okay. should have bought a lottery ticket too that day, I think. <laughs> he probably should have. Probably should have. Press the noises. What, what are you going to waste it on, right? When you know, you know next week, log, ne, sorry, next week, Lag Bomer, when everyone goes to Shimon Bar Yochai's grave, is that what's going on too? Uh, it's a similar idea. A similar idea. Shimon Bar Yochai is, is a very interesting um, concept because. Typically, it does not become a party, like a rejoicing, right? You know, so in Judaism, we are not afraid of death, but we do treat it with a very somber light, a very somber spirit, you know. Um, I've been to, uh, you know, shiva houses of not religious Jews that uh, were probably more similar to a wake, um, an Irish wake, than, than I think what the rabbis originally had in mind of what a shiva house should look like. Um, so a yard site is essentially the day of death of someone. So you celebrate their life, but it doesn't become like a party. Roshim Bar Yochai in particular, though, became a party. It's a place where there's actually dancing and there's singing. It's not, uh, it's not even necessarily a time when we focus on the, on the prayers, right, or the Torah that he taught, per se. It's a time that we just focus on celebrating his life. And for those of you who are curious why that is so, next week on Lagba Omer on Wednesday night at 8.30, the JSN will be having a Lagba Omer bonfire with music and some Torah as well. So um, I don't know if you guys saw that in the emails, but uh, please, please join us. I, tentatively, it's going to be at the Falsen home. So it's in Palo Alto, 830 next month. Okay, guys, be well. Good night.